let's take our Bibles and go to the book of First Peter. Our theme for the year came from Romans 15, 13, Abounding in Hope. We looked at that for several weeks and have continued the theme that was launched in Romans, now in the book of First Peter. We've been in First Peter chapter 1, and the theme verse has been verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Thank God for the lively hope that we have in Christ. Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, was writing to these Gentile believers who were feeling like uh, strangers in their own land because that's what they had become. Now that they were Christians, they were now outcasts, and he wrote to inspire hope in them because uh, it's hard to live for Christ and do what he's called you to do when you don't have hope. Uh, you're, you're dragging your wagon. You're just barely surviving. And they needed to be abounding. They needed to, to know they had a lively hope so that they could do what God had called them to do. And so Peter writes to these people, and much like these folks then, we today need this message of hope from Peter. Sometimes we get overwhelmed, we get tired, we get distracted, we get fearful, anxious, and we need God to again remind us of his word and to show us the hope that we have in Christ. Just a little bit of review here. He starts uh, by uh, helping them to remember their twofold identity in Christ. And uh, he, he, he points out uh, that they can have hope when they understand, first of all, their identity, that they are elect strangers. Their horizontal relationship is that they are sojourners. They are, they are strangers down here. The vertical relationship, they are elect. They are chosen by God for a very specific purpose. And as they understand the identity, it helps them have hope. And then they can reframe their perspective. How does an elect stranger see their pilgrimage on earth? Very different from someone who feels like this is it, right? And so the identity comes first, out of that comes the perspective, and then out of that comes praise. And for the next few verses there, in, in verses uh, 4 and, and, and moving on, he, he instructs them to praise God. And there's much to praise God for in this passage. You can praise Him for His multiplied grace and peace, His abundant mercy. Praise Him for the new birth. We've looked at all of these. You praise Him for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We saw that again last week. And the hope of our resurrection one day soon. Uh, we praise him for an inheritance that is pointed out here to be incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven, that cannot pass away. It's got your name on it. And we praise him for security. That little word kept has such a big, a big importance to the believer. Praise him for your, so your, your security. We looked also at the trying of our faith. And this is something that we, as we saw in the verse, can and should rejoice and praise him in. You can have joy in persecution, in trials. This is the paradox, uh, but it is true. And as we praise God for the precious trying of our faith, God helps us to walk by faith. We praise him for the salvation of our souls. And then as you come into verses 10 through 12 here this morning, we'll see uh, these, these three verses are, are intended to provoke our appreciation and thereby encourage our hope. 
Sometimes we lose sight of what we have. And so Peter's coming at it from every angle possible. These folks need to be picked up. And so how are we going to do that? Talk about their identity. Talk about their perspective. Talk about praise. Talk about the right perspective of praising God in suffering, in trials. Talk about the resurrection. And here in verses 10 through 12, a little bit of a history lesson and some reminders here that will provoke appreciation. Sometimes you lose hope because you've lost the appreciation for what you have. And so he's going to help us with that. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. Of which salvation, now what, what, what is he talking about there? The salvation that he referred to in the previous verse, okay? So it's 1 Peter 1, 10. The, the last phrase of verse 9 says, even the salvation of your souls. And so now in verse 10, it's like he says, speaking of that salvation, speaking of that salvation, let me talk about that for a moment. Did you realize that not everybody has known and experienced what you've experienced in this age of grace? That's basically what he's saying here. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, who, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into interesting passage of scripture that is designed by the spirit of god to help us see what we have and our appreciation grow lord help us as we look at your word help us as we go through this to to understand it but most importantly to be able to apply it to our lives teach us i pray in jesus name amen if i was to have jason turn off all the lights and then turn them back on it wouldn't be a very spectacular thing. That's why I'm not going to do it. Okay. But I could, and he'd, he would oblige. He'd turn off all the lights, and he'd turn it back on. Uh, it, it might maybe make somebody annoyed. Why are we turning off lights in church? But no one would sit here and go, oh, Wow! With a flip of a switch, he turned off the lights. And with a flip of a switch, he turned them back on. But did you know there are some people who have lived throughout history who if we could have pre, pre, uh, uh, transported them here, they would have maybe done some victory laps around the church, okay? Some scientists, uh, some people who years and years ago wrote about the possibilities of light at the flip of a switch. And they were thought of as crazy fantasizers. Their feet were not tied to the ground. These people were a burden because uh, we don't need to think about light at the flip of a switch. We need to think about uh, going out and plowing with the oxen and chopping firewood. And there's plenty of light from that and oil, lamps, and all of this. And uh, I, was, I was just, uh, for the fun of it, before I was, uh, when I was preparing this message, I, I went and just looked up all of the different people who thought about, wrote about, 
uh, dreamed of the idea of light at the flip of a switch. Oh boy, volumes were written. And I discovered as I just Googled my way through this, uh, there were all sorts of artists' renderings of what the future would look like. And these cartoons from like the 1600s and little sketches from the 1800s and, and well beyond that. And I thought, well, some of these guys were actually pretty close. It's amazing. But back in their day, it was just a cartoon sketch for kids. It was no big deal. Uh, I took my kids uh, to the um, Henry Ford Museum. By the way, thank you, the church, for my birthday. I got a birthday card from the church with a, 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 a uh, family membership to the Henry Ford Museum. And what a blessing that is going to be. We are going to get our use out of that. So thank you, church. And maybe uh, anybody want to come with the Barber family, let us know. We'll go together, okay? Uh, well, we went to one of the, one of the uh, documentaries that they were showing, and they talked about all of the historical uh, figures who learned this and learned that and documented this and this breakthrough and that breakthrough and how science today stands on the shoulders of these ones and so forth. And, and uh, some of these individuals died young because of the radiation, they didn't know that radiation would kill them. So some of them were brilliant minds but died in their 30s uh, of, of cancer from radiation. And, but yet the, the findings that they found served to help us today. What am I saying? You know, when you come away from that and you learn about the, the people who gave their lives and all of the studying and all of the searching and the intensity of these people, and we walk around flipping on light switches and flipping off light switches, and it's no big deal. You know, it just, it helps you take a step back and appreciate what you have. That, in a sense, is what Peter is doing here. The gospel, grace, uh, the, the preaching of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, and the age of grace that they were in and we are still in today, all of this was all they knew. And so it could be very easily taken for granted or seen as ho-hum. And he's saying, hold on. Some of you have lost hope. I've been telling you about your identity and your perspective and teaching you how to praise and have the right perspective on rejoicing and suffering and so forth. But let me give you another lesson you just need to know what you have. Because what you have, even on your darkest day, is so much better and fuller than so many who have gone before you. There are individuals who would have gladly switched places if they could have to see what we experience today. And so in this passage provoking appreciation and encouraging hope thereby he highlights three groups of people that we'll, we'll highlight here this morning first of all of course you have the prophets the prophets and it says of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory of uh, that, that should follow. 
Again, he's trying to write to encourage the drooping hearts of these new believers that though they have maybe lost so much uh, since they have been saved, they have received everything they need and in a way in which the prophets themselves did not experience it. They did not experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They never, they never knew what a Pentecost was. Couldn't even conceive of something like that happening in the age of the church and what, what, what is written of as the mystery. The mystery of, of salvation. What about these prophets? Well, these prophets felt intense interest and desire for the grace that was coming. We see that in verse 10. They inquired and searched diligently but their sight was limited. They couldn't see everything that they wrote about. And sometimes they would, they would see things, as I've mentioned before, like mountain peaks. And as you look at a mountain peak, it can look like all the mountain peaks are all in a line. But when you climb those peaks, you find out peak number four is you know, 500 miles away. But it looked like it was right here. And so they would do the best they could uh, but the, Lord, the Spirit of God only gave them so much. He left some in a ministry for His own purposes. And sometimes there were some gaps. They saw the peaks. They couldn't see the valleys, the details in between. And so the prophets themselves were searching diligently and intently interested in trying to search out, what is the Holy Spirit giving to me? That's what it says. That's where it came from, right? Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. So the Spirit of Christ was signifying things through them but even then, they still had to do some searching. They were comparing with the other prophecies that they had, if they had any to compare with at all. Well, I tell you, they would be jealous of us today. We have it all right here. Every prophecy. Every single one. Well, how many? I don't even know how many prophecies are in there. How many prophecies pertain to Jesus? How many prophecies pertain to the redemptive work of Christ on the cross? Well, uh, it, it's hundreds, and different authors have different numbers depending on how you cut it. But it's hundreds, folks, and we've got them all in one place. And not only that, I can go to my Bible software program, I can pull up one verse, click on it, and boom, it puts all the cross-references next in another pane. What we are able to do with the Scriptures, I can search more in five minutes than these guys could have done in five months. But what are we doing with it? What are we doing with all that we have at our fingertips? Daniel, think of him. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, all of these guys, Zechariah, Malachi, Haggai, so many prophets that we looked at last year. All would have longed to be able to experience the culmination of so much prophetic history. Now, not all of the prophecies have been fulfilled. We're still waiting on some, but many, many, many have. And specifically concerning redemption, concerning the cross, those are done. They have been fulfilled in Christ. These men wanted to know uh, what, they wanted to know when, they wanted to know what is the Holy Spirit saying. They wanted to know the, the various details. And they wanted to piece them all together. They, they had an intense interest and desire that they devoted their entire lives to. 
And Peter is saying this should provoke some appreciation in us. And not just that, but we should feel some responsibility. The, you know, the, so the scientists, as I mentioned, talk about uh, scientists today stand on the shoulders of scientists of years gone by. Well, how much more so we stand on the shoulders of these prophets and the work that God did in them. They knew some things. They knew, according to this passage, that the Messiah would suffer. Did you see that there? Uh, they, they prophesied of the grace that should come unto us, but it says that when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. You know, many of the Jews in Christ's day were not looking for a suffering servant Messiah. They missed that. Why? There were a lot of prophecies, some about his suffering, and there were others about his conquering. And this is where the human heart comes in, and we've got to be careful. We are so easily deceived. Who wants a suffering Messiah when you can have a conquering one, right? And so it was just all too easy for the priests and the scribes to just kind of read along Isaiah 53, yeah, 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 okay, I don't know what that means, but let's get over here to the sword, and oh, this will be great. And they just kind of, they just kind of decided to grab a hold of this. And not so much that, we're just not really sure what that means. You know, folks, that reminds me of us today. There are times where we read along, and boy, there's this passage over here, I like the sound of this. This passage over here, I'm not even sure what it means. We do the same thing. Move this, grab that. But we need to rather step back like these prophets. These prophets knew what was going on. And if they didn't know, they dug in deeper. And they prophesied not only of the conquering, but they prophesied of his suffering and the glory that should follow. Isaiah 53 talks of his stripes. It speaks of how he was smitten and stricken of God and afflicted. It also speaks of the glory that would follow. Uh, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see how much the prophet Isaiah understood of this Messiah? That's pretty clear. And yet it was so uh, so, so missed by so many scholarly Jews. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Even that is so specific. Remember Jesus kept his mouth closed and they said, speak, come on, prophesy, say something. Nope, his mouth was closed. Why this prophecy? And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. At this point, he wasn't there to preach. He was there to die. The prophets saw this. The prophets predicted it accurately with the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Psalm 22 is another powerful prophecy about his hands pierced, about his garments being uh, gambled over. Specific details called out by these prophets. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. That happened specifically. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. 
Thy strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, uh, literally and figuratively. So there were some Roman dogs compassing him, but no doubt there were actually real furry, barking dogs, okay? Uh, if you're a dog, the crucifixion site would be a nice place to hang out. I won't get gross, but uh, yeah, these dogs knew what was going on. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. How did the prophet see this? How did the prophet know all of this? The spirit in them did signify, Peter tells us. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You know, I, I think that he obviously had a, a decent robe for them to want to cast lots for it. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't that Jesus had the nicest threads in Jerusalem, okay? It was an insult. It was meant as one last degrading in-your-face gesture. While you're not even dead, while there's still breath in your body, in your sight, we're going to gamble away your clothes because you're as good as gone. It's the height of disrespect. It was just a, 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 a slap in the face. They'd already done that. They'd already spat. And so now we're just going to gamble away your clothes in front of you. All of this perfectly predicted by the prophets because of the Holy Spirit. Folks, these prophets were spirit-filled men of God. They called it like they saw it, but they didn't see everything. They were trying to search it out. They were, they were giving their lives to understanding these things, and they longed for the day when it would come to fulfillment and all of it would make sense, but they didn't get to see it all. We do. We get to see it with 2020 vision and understand what we have in Christ. But the point is this. Having been in this place of opportunity, what are we doing with it? Are we searching the Scriptures? Are we as intently interested in what God's Word says and piecing things together and applying it? I, I would hate to think that the prophets who went before would be ashamed of, of what we're doing with the Scriptures that we have. You know what else is amazing about these prophets? They knew that they were serving people later in, in history through their ministry. They knew that their ministry was primarily not for them. It was for others who had not even been born yet. Look at verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed. So whom is the prophets? So the prophecies were revealed to the prophets, but it says that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things. That's incredible. Revealed to them to minister to us. That doesn't sound fair. You do all of that work. You do all of that study. All of that searching. Can I, can I have it revealed to me and minister to me, please? Not that they weren't ministered to at all. 
But the purpose of their ministry was another group in another day right here. Well, Peter's day and extending into our day and, and should the Lord tarry beyond. What humble men, what selfless men to give their lives to this matter of prophecy for a group of people that they would never ever meet on this earth. To pioneer something for somebody else. I had a little itty bitty smidgen of a taste of this once when I went to Ireland with Oriel O'Gorman and Heather. Uh, they, they, they were, some things happened and they had to come home uh, uh, prematurely, something with the mission board, and they had to come home, raise a little bit more support. And so we stayed out there and they were going to raise a little bit more support and come back in time for the grand opening. But they did not make it back in time for the grand opening. And I said, Oriel, what do you want to do? He says, the church, I want it to open on time, with or without us. I said, well, you have to be there. He said, well, I'll fly in. So I did all the work of, of canvassing and everything else. We had our big grand opening uh, Sunday. And he flew in, preached that service in jet lag, and then flew out. And I took the Monday, went, uh, Monday through Friday uh, evening meetings. And we planted that church, started that church. And uh, uh, it took a while for Oral and Heather to get back, and they, they finally did come back. And uh, I, I, at that point, I had a, a burden for Ireland and, and was excited about what God was going to do. And Oral and I talked, and he said, you know, I think Ireland needs an evangelist. He said, this pastor-evangelist combo that God has given us, it's, 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 it's great, and I think we need an evangelist in Ireland. And I began praying about that. I thought, maybe, maybe God's going to do that. God had opened up some doors for us. We pioneered some things. And uh, long story short, I began realizing the red tape for me to do that was going to be very, very difficult. But there was another evangelist who married Oriel's sister. His name was Chris. He's been here. He's preached here. Chris Dahl. And he was on, uh, on the road to, to, to get over to Ireland. And, and uh, I tell you, everything fell in place. He was married to a national and just so many different things. He had a mission board that, that uh, someone had gifted him, a 501c3, and just literally everything just fell together. You know, when God is in something, it's something to watch. And when God is not in something, that's also something to watch, <laughs> okay? And for me, I couldn't get things to come together to stay in Ireland to save my life. And Chris is just lays out. And so I went to my pastor, uh, a pastor in, in, in Wisconsin, and I said, hey, here's what's going on. I laid the whole thing out. He listened and smiled, put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Brother Barber, you have been given a rare privilege. I said, what is that? He said, to pioneer somebody else's ministry. I said, oh, <laughs> bummer. That's not what I wanted to hear at all. But I remember as soon as he said it, and he said it with such warmth. He did. And he, he said, no, seriously, I mean it. He said, it's a privilege. It's a rare privilege. Barnabas got that privilege. And uh, there's a few others who got to, to, to go so far and then hand it off to someone else to go the rest of the way. He said, it's a privilege. It's good. Chris is going to go to Ireland and God's going to use him. But you're not going to go. And God's going to use you. But it's going to be okay. And the Holy Spirit immediately confirmed that in my heart. I knew it was the Lord. My pastor had confirmed that, but I just had complete peace immediately. I was thrilled for Chris and Zoe, and I was excited to see what God was going to do with my family. You know, the, 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 the prophets 
they had an opportunity to pioneer something for you. And what Peter is telling these people, these Gentiles, is this. He's saying, hey, I know you're drooping. You're, 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 you're uh, dis, uh, disheartened and, and really needing some hope. Hey, pick up your heads because you and I are the primary recipients of the work of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You may have lost everything you think, but you have received something that these men and women of God sought diligently for and dedicated their lives to. Things were revealed to them that they may administer those things to us. Therefore, folks, we today, as people uh, in Peter's day, we are heirs of all the hopes of those Old Testament prophecies. And I would say not just heirs, I would say stewards of them. This should serve to intensify our desire to see and understand how the Old Testament anticipates Jesus Christ. And it should also uh, 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 intensify the appreciation we have for the grace of God that we've already received by faith. So what is Peter saying here with the, the, the matter of the prophets? He's saying, take comfort. God cared enough about you to minister to you through the prophets over the years. Take courage. You have all you need in Christ to face life in this world and beyond thanks to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And take care. Don't lightly esteem the privilege of living in this remarkable age of grace. The prophets help to provoke our appreciation, but also the Spirit-filled preachers of the gospel serve to provoke our appreciation unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So he's saying this, the prophets got all of this started and spirit-filled preachers have been reinforcing it since. You need to heed what the prophets said and heed what these preachers are saying because this is a big deal. Peter moves from the prophets to spirit-filled preachers of the gospel and the emphasis of 1 Peter 1.12 is to highlight even further the preciousness of the salvation foretold in the Old Testament and now preached in the gospel. The gospel we are hearing today, the gospel that is on our lips is the culmination of all of the prophets' ministry. What does Titus tell us? Titus 1.3 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but in due time, but it hath in due times manifested His word through preaching. You know, uh, preachers aren't perfect. Preachers make mistakes. But preachers are also stewards of this grace to herald it out. It is, to, it is up to the preacher to be a spirit-filled vessel to herald the word. And it is up to those who receive the preaching to do so humbly and also with great uh, responsibility. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their hearts, their, their ears from the truth, 
and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. What, did Paul, what is Paul teaching Timothy there? He's saying, look, there's a lot of foundation that was laid, and now that needs to be uh, brought home through preaching, in season, out of season. You need to be faithful. If it's reproof, reprove. If, if they need encouragement, encourage. But, uh, but by all means, don't stop preaching no matter what because this is the only thing that's going to keep us from just being carried aside into fables and error. In other words, preaching today is of utmost importance to the believer. Preaching today is to be the reinforcement and a reminder of all that the prophets set forth so many years ago. But again... It does call this out. It's not just any preaching. The passage in 1 Peter makes it very, very clear. It's spirit-filled preaching. So you pray for this preacher. Pray for other pastors, other evangelists who travel. Pray that there would be a humility to be led by the Spirit of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to not have our own ideas, our own agendas, but to be just that that willing, submitted, surrendered vessel that the Holy Spirit can equip and empower and use to herald His message, specifically the gospel and all that pertains to it. Preaching like this should also inspire hope. Question for us to consider along this matter. Are you under the preaching of God's Word consistently? And what is your attitude toward preaching? And hopefully, again, spirit-empowered preaching. What is your attitude toward it? Uh, do we see it as a necessity to be a part of a local church where the preaching is alive and where the Word is systematically preached, where these truths are brought home, where hope is built, where there is reproof needed, reproof happens, and reproof, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine uh, we need to have an attitude that says, Lord, I want to hear your word. I want to be faithful and committed to receiving what you have for me. The prophets and preachers alike are thrilled about the grace of God in your life and the opportunities afforded you because of it. But how about you? How about you and I? Are we as excited as the prophets are or other preachers are? Uh, you ever had a preacher get up and preach and he was just so excited? I think of Jim Shetler. Anybody ever hear Jim Shetler preach? That guy has never preached a message that he was not absolutely bubbling over about. He is Mr. Excitement. I love it. I love it. Because he gets up there and he's so excited for you to hear what he has to say that you're just like, okay, well, what is it? He just keeps you locked in. It should be that way. He says, look, I've got some good news for you. The gospel is good news. It's exciting. You need to hear this. It's going to help us. It's going to give us hope. You know, Peter does not stop with the prophets and preachers. He talks about the prophets. He talks about the preachers. But who else does he talk about? Did you see it there? The very end? The angels. The angels. That's interesting. Says, unto, uh, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Here it is. Which things the angels desire to look into. 
Now, I am not an angelology expert by any means. I did go to Bible college. I have seen Highway to Heaven, touched by an angel. Okay, a few. Uh, that's my credentials, and that's about all right. Uh, uh, when I was a kid, it was PAX TV. I don't know if they still have that, but all the angel movies. You know, there's a lot of movies and TV shows about angels. Isn't it amazing? There, there are not just Christians, but uh, folks who would not claim to be Christians are very interested in, in the whole thing of, of angels and so forth. But you know, uh, who's really interested in, in the situation is the angels are interested in us. That's what this verse is saying. The angels are interested in us. They have not had the opportunity to experience what we've experienced. They don't know what it is to be bought back. That means redeemed. They don't know what it is to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. You ever thought about that? Now, the angels dwell in the presence of God in a way that we don't. But we might look at them and say, yeah, well, you know, they've got it better than we do. But they're looking at us saying, no, you got something we don't have. And they're very curious. I wonder, though, if angels are sometimes frustrated to death with us. Uh, our guardian angels, you know, how many times do I have to save this guy or whatever? I don't know how all it goes down. Uh, I'll have plenty of making up to do with my guardian angel one day. Sorry, pal, but I'm thankful. Uh, but, you know, they are, they are looking into our lives. It says which things the angels desire to look into. And this is the, the, the last phrase of a passage, a three-verse a, a three passage that is all supposed to provoke our appreciation for what we have. The prophets would love to be here and take part in what you're taking part in. The preachers are excited about the potential you have in Christ. And I'm telling you, the angels themselves, Peter says, if they could, they would desire to look into and to be here and to see what you guys have. And this he is writing to a group of people who were discouraged, disheartened. Everything's going wrong. And Peter does not say, oh, it's not that bad. No, it's not, really, it's not really gone wrong. You notice that? He never says that. That'd be a lie. He, he, he says, I, basically, I, I know it's gone wrong. I know it's bad. The trialing of your faith, it's happening. The suffering, the persecution, he's going to get into all that. It's happening. He's saying, look, irregardless of what's happening in your life, there's some angels that would like to, to, to get in here right now and see what you're seeing. Prophets and preachers, this is an exciting opportunity. This day of grace in which you live is the culmination of redemptive history. Wow. So take heart and take hope. There's a gospel song that I first heard sung by a man named Gordon Greer. If you don't know him, he, was, uh, he used to be, I think, at one time an opera, opera singer. And he got saved and, and then he began to tour churches and sing in churches he would sing this song uh, the first verse says there is singing up in heaven such as we have never known where the angels sing the praises of the lamb upon the throne their sweet harps are ever tuneful and their voice is always clear oh that we might be more like them as we serve the master here but then the refrain says holy holy is what the angels sing 
and I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. I always had a kick out of that phrase because Gordon Greer, uh, he, he can help make the courts of heaven ring. I'm not sure I can, but, but this is the, the, the key part of the whole song. The, the refrain ends with this. But when I sing redemption's story, they will fold their wings, for angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings. To think that we will one day stand with the redeemed. And we're hearing the angelic host sing all of this wonderful music that we've never heard, and it's, it's just overwhelmingly amazing. And then it's time for the redeemed to sing. Every angel will have to close their mouth. And as it says, the songwriter says, fold their wings. They can't sing that song. That is your song to sing and mine. It's an incredible opportunity to praise our Savior. The prophets ached to see and experience the grace that we have received. The Holy Spirit confirms through the gospel that this grace has arrived with Jesus. Even the angels watch and are stunned by the story of God's redeeming grace, and this all points to this, to make God's grace so intensely desirable that we would set our hope fully upon it. What the prophets never fully saw, what the Spirit-filled, empowered preachers call upon us to see, what the angels in heaven can see but cannot experience. Peter's encouragement is to those in need of hope, you aren't living in bad times after all. In fact, you're living in the best days known to man. So many people would love to switch places with you, so what should we do? Take heart. And take hold of what you have in Christ. Appreciate by faith the opportunity that is before you. And embrace the grace of your salvation. Folks, there is no reason to despair. Folks, no matter what diagnosis we receive, no matter what tragedy takes place in our lives, God's grace is sufficient to help us through those things. And regardless of it all, we still... At the end of the day, stand at a point in history that is unparalleled in its opportunities and potential. May God give us the grace. May he encourage our hope that we might live in these days faithfully. Lord, I pray that you would help us now as your redeemed to bow humbly before you and to see what maybe we have taken for granted to take hold to take heart and take hold of this this day of grace and this day that we have with the holy spirit to be able to be used of you to accomplish great things for your name i pray lord that we would again be encouraged to have a faith perspective help us lord heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano plays a moment uh, I want to give an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're not sure you're saved, I would love to talk to you afterwards. I'll be in the guest reception, but if you're not sure that you're saved, you can come by there. And if I'm busy, we'll get at least someone with you with a Bible that can share with you how you can know for sure you're saved. It's the most important thing. That's where hope begins. Christian, if you have been dealt with by the Spirit of God this morning, would you just take a moment and talk to God about your need?